let me know once you see it. He's doing a an interview. Oh, I thought this was like a uh, a fan, but no, it's just an NBA player. Yeah, he's a player. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I'm ready. Now, if I hit play, can you hear this? I just asked Bud the yeah. exact same question, but I'm curious for you. Do you view this season as a failure? <sighs> oh my god. Uh... Okay, because I'm not that. You you asked me the same question last year, Eric. Okay. Uh, do you get do you get a promotion every year on your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right? Which is to get a promotion, be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able, I don't know, um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. You know, and if you've never... I don't, I don't want this. I don't want to make it personal. So... There's always steps to it, you know. Um, Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. No, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? So there you go. That's that's the essence nice. of it. He he reiterates the point a couple of more times, but um, that's uh oh no. How do I stop sharing? There we go. So that's 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 right. the point that I thought was so great. This guy Giannis, who plays for Milwaukee. What's the basketball team in Milwaukee? A wolf of some Bucks. kind, maybe. The Bucks. That's it. Bucks. I'm such a great sports guy. Um, but this guy Giannis, I thought he, it's I thought it was an, an ongoing problem. It, it is right. <laughs> but he makes this great. I think the Michael Jordan analogy is the 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 strong strong point that he's making. Right, saying, look, if Michael Jordan played for 15 years. And only won six championships. Does that mean nine of Michael Jordan's years in the NBA were failures? The entire year you know what was Michael a failure. Jordan would say? What would he say? He would say yes. yes. Those yeah, he would say failures. yes. <laughs> yeah, which, which I, is so. It is ironic. It's an ironic. Uh, it's ironic because I think at, uh, maybe at that level, uh, to win any sort of championship on a regular basis is going to require some sort of like bizarre, unhealthy obsession, specifically mm-hmm. with winning. Right. So I think, I think, um, and I'll say this often, like, I do think common sense does tend to invert at the very top of things. Yeah. You know, uh, but, but the point is, uh, you, if, if you're not happy, uh, honestly doing your personal best, right. Uh, and focusing on things you can control rather than things you can't, right. Uh, it's going to be a hard slog because you don't get a promotion every year. Right. Yeah, and sometimes you make mistakes that result in you not winning the championship, even though you still did a fantastic job representative of your personal best. Yeah, so thinking of us normies in, and in bagpiping and drumming, if I go to, I mean, summer's, summer's starting right now as we record this, right? If I go to my local games and I don't get a medal, you know, I go compete solo or with my band and I don't get a medal, then was my decision to pay my dues and get dressed up that day and do all that practicing and show up and play and get the judges sheet back is the result failure or is that a stepping stone toward success or is it success in and of itself because I did it, you know, and maybe it's different for different people at different times. But what I'm kind of pushing you toward Andrew is um, there's this study that I read uh, in a journal called uh, nature communications that suggests that, 15% failure rate is actually ideal. 
for progress. The idea being that if a person is 100% successful at whatever they're doing, then they're probably not progressing, right? But if they fail too much, then they're probably going to give up. But if they fail just the right amount, then they'll get better because they'll get real feedback either from other people or from their own results that drives improvement is the idea. Yeah, so that 15% sounds like utter horseshit to me. In the, sen- in the sense that like, why not 16%? Are you yeah, sure, sure it's not yeah. 14%? And then like, what is the incentive to be successful, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think the uh, the degree of incentive, be it very small or very large, is going to uh, is going to play an impact on what percentage of uh, attempts, you know, like what the failure percentage is that's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the, it, it depends, it depends what the potential upside is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the 15%, like whatever, non nonsense, but I suppose the basic premise is maybe somewhat accurate. I mean, uh, to me, it just points towards, uh, you know, stoicism and, you know, Hayek and all those guys where, where how you react is the one thing that you can control. Right. So how you react to outcomes that's the one thing you can control and therefore that is the thing that you should focus on and you should celebrate only when you react to things well not mm-hmm. so much whether you win the prize or not uh you know that that sort of that focus on what you can control is the key element uh and yeah i suppose if you fail too much you might quit but maybe failing too much is an indication that you should quit <laughs> or, or regrade or something right in, in a bagpipe context or, or go back or to the fundamentals. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so yeah, in that, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's been many times in my life where I failed at something severely and, or many times. And, uh, that, that resulted in me pivoting to something that was ultimately better. Mm, yeah. I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. Um, Looking, getting really narrow in in what I'm asking you now, if I go to a solo competition and I fail, as in I don't get the gold there at that competition, don't take first, um, I mean, whether I won or not, I'm going to get a judging sheet. But especially if the judging sheet has mostly advice for how to improve, um, how, Mm -hmm. how, how do you react? What do you do with your judging sheets? And what do you tell, what would you tell a student to do with their judging sheet? Um, avoid looking at it, read it regularly. Do you have a binder where you keep all the judging sheets you've ever received? You know, like how, how do we interact Mm -hmm. with that kind of situation? It's a good question. And it did remind me of something I wanted to talk about first, which is, um, basketball. So the guy that gave us the quote and bagpiping are two very different activities, Mm. uh, because in basket basketball, at least generally speaking, you could get into like the whole refereeing and stuff like, and whether or not they have biases, but generally speaking, basketball is an objective pastime where mm. you either score more baskets than the other team or you don't, right? So, and most sports are good in that way. I mean, figure skating is notoriously mm-hmm. uh, rife with conflict. And then, you know, there's uh, whether or not people are cheating, like in, in uh, cycle racing and stuff like that. But generally speaking, sports are an objective pastime. And then just be careful comparing the two because bagpiping is totally not that 
right? Mm-hmm. So bagpiping is you might you might do the best performance that you'll ever do in your entire life, and if the judge doesn't see it that way, it is not going to be reflected in the result. And then uh, many times this has happened to me and many many top pipers, your uh, a, a subpar performance by your standard is the one that earns you the gold medal or the world championship, right? And it's just because the judge was in the mood for that that day. That is yeah. what determines the result. And it's very subjective and it's just the way that it is. Um, and by the way, it's kind of strange, right? But anyway, I suppose you could do that in sports too. You could have not your best game, but just kind of like for whatever reason, you end up beating your opponent anyway. And I suppose that's going to be part of life. But uh, my point being, just be aware of that's what it is. So you're mm-hmm. in control of how well you play, theoretically, but you're never in control of uh, what the judge is going to think about that performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so to stake anything on on or on the result of a bagpipe competition is a very slippery slope that goes the wrong way fast. This is uh, a now, thing I know that, that seems to be coming up a lot in our conversations, like, again focus on the process right yeah focus on the process focus on the things you can control and the things that you care about and the things that you know are likely to point you ultimately uh in the direction that you want to go yeah for sure Mm -hmm. but anyway going back to the score sheets i think what you're asking me is how much uh time do you spend uh you know studying and considering what the score sheet says Mm mm-hmm yeah, because I question? feel like so many of us, if we do read them, our knee-jerk reaction is to go, well, that judge just doesn't like me, or this judge obviously doesn't know what they're talking about. Maybe that's just me having a bad ego situation, right? But I feel like that's often – our brain immediately wants to dismiss the feedback. So should we – but then at the same time, maybe the feedback's not that great. So should we internalize it? I don't know, you know? Yes. So I, I think at the um... – at the lower levels, there would be very few, if any, judges uh, that aren't understanding what you're trying to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So at the high levels, at the high levels, you have to ask that question all the time. Like, did the judge even get what I was trying to do? Yeah. Right. Uh, is is this feedback, um, you know, relative to my ability? Is this feedback even competent? Like sometimes those thoughts cross your mind at the high levels. At the lower levels, uh, that shouldn't really cross your mind. Anything the judge says is usually like, you know, uh, at least accurate in the sense of whether or not you were able to put together a good performance. And, you know, maybe they have, yeah, like maybe maybe those judges are over-prioritizing tempo when they shouldn't be and stuff like that, right? And so maybe maybe they're not judging things in the same light that your teacher would want to judge things. I guess there's always that. But uh, yeah, you should always take it into consideration. But here's, I can offer what my approach to score sheets is. Yeah. Uh, I read the score sheet. I read the score sheet a couple of times to make sure I think I understand what the judge thought about my performance. Uh, And then except for posterity, maybe 30 years later, I'll never look at that sheet again. That's what I do. Um, and I think that's what a lot of top players are going to do. It's like, you know, you take the judge, uh, you take the judge's, uh, criticisms into consideration. Maybe you share it with your teacher if you have a teacher. Uh, and then it just goes into the pile of things that you might want to consider 
uh, mm. when it comes to improving. But at the end of the day, it would be very rare that you would do a sudden uh, hairpin turn based on what a judge would say, you know, like going back to trusting the process. Um, like typically by the time you're competing, you've already been following a, a process for quite mm -hmm. a long period of time. And therefore to do any drastic action based on the thoughts of one judge would be a mistake. Now, over the course of 12 score sheets from 12 different judges, and they all say the same thing, like now you're starting to wonder, okay, a change of course might be required here uh, because maybe I missed something, you mm -hmm. know, something like that. That's one of the benefits of uh, yeah, playing but, multiple but, games in a season rather than just doing one solo and calling that good for the year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's a treacherous landscape. So you really do have to trust your own instincts, right? And that's going to be your own instincts should always be 80% of the decisions you make. And then your teacher's instincts probably represent the next 18%. Uh, and then the judges and other casual onlookers, like maybe you can just take note of what they're saying and factor it into uh, you know, your approach going forward, but you're not going to put a lot of stock in it because you don't know, you don't, it's difficult to know whether they're hearing what you're hearing and whether or not you agree with them. And it's difficult to articulate. And yeah, it's very mm -hmm. tricky. You're basically just looking for clues. So again, it, it's almost like a hypothesis testing activity. It's like, oh, I think the way I'm playing my two, four march is very good. That's a conjecture you could make. Like, oh, I think that my two-four march playing is really good. Cool. Now let's go test it against the field of competitors. And then a miscellaneous judge, oh, look, they agree. And you can tell they agree because they gave me second place out of 18 competitors. And they had many positive things to say on the sheet. Uh, versus like, oh, the last 19 times I competed, I got a below grade level marking on my sheet. And uh, nobody likes it. And I haven't taken a prize for a really long time. You know, that would be a definite indication that your hypothesis, at least for the purposes of solo competing is misguided. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I have wondered before if people more serious than I might have like a, a system of like categorizing feedback on based on the judge. And so then when you show up to a games and you know, you've played for that judge before and you know that they like things a certain way, you alter your playing to fit what that judge wants, you know? <laughs> You never, you never played that game, Andrew. That would be bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you no, you play the game. You play the game, but it's always a mistake, right? Mm. So it's like, oh, oh, that judge, you know, that judge uh, hates the uh, McGregor salute. He just hates it, so you shouldn't submit it. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself submitting a tune that you're not that comfortable with, and, uh, mm. and it turns out they, you know. They weren't going to like anything you did that day. So what was the point? And then you sort of betray your own self and your own instincts uh, just to benefit a judge who might not be a good actor in the first place and whatever. So it's like, no, can't do it. People try it all the time. Yeah. You know, uh, but it's not, uh, it's not how you win the game. It's kind of like saying, oh, I acquiesced to what that guy wanted in order to win. Like, wouldn't that be a terrible way to win? Yeah, like I finally well, won. I finally won just by giving in to what that, you know, just by basically kissing that guy's butt. Yeah, doing what they wanted instead mm -hmm. of it coming from me.
Now, don't like, but it is, you know, it's a fine line because maybe that guy's right about you. And yeah. maybe they have good reasons for saying, oh, what you're doing is total crap, in which case maybe you need to listen. And, may, you know, so so it's tough to know. So so where's the line between, uh, you know, changing something because you recognize the person is right and changing something uh, just to try to uh, kiss butt for lack of a better term, right? Just to kiss a little bit of butt to get that prize that you want. So where's the line? Mm. It's a difficult line to walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can you be so sure that you're correct, that you're playing well, you know? So, so yeah, it's a, it's definitely a tricky, tricky landscape. Going back to the original point, however, is focus on the things that you can control, right? Focus on your process, do things with as much integrity as you can. And theoretically over time, things will go in your favor, I think. So, so we might say in that case, you know, uh, no, no competition is a failure. No, no attempt to, no going out there and playing. No time you go out there and play your pipes or your drums is that a failure? No, I wouldn't say that either. Uh oh. <laughs> I mean, if you put no effort into it, and you're just and you just go out there and compete and expect great things to happen, and you haven't done preparation, and you know you're not presenting your best. Uh, I think that could be a failure. But again, the, your criteria for whether or not it's a failure is all stuff that I can control. And so then it's, it's up to me, I guess, is the way to put it. It's up to me whether it's a failure or a success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hey, everybody. Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo. And I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.